0: Greetings and welcome to The Flight Stuff, Episode 7. I'm Liam O'Donnell, uh, Editor-in-Chief of Cinepunks.com, and your pseudo-host, three-part host, one of three, one part of the trinity that is The Flight Stuff.
1: I am Adriana Gober, Managing Editor of Cinepunks, and I guess the second part of the trinity that is The Flight Stuff.
2: And I'm Doug Tilley, a contributor to Cinepunks.com. Liam, I like to think of us as the King Ghidorah of Alpha Flight Podcasts.
0: Yes. There you go. I actually like that a lot. Although, it, I like that you say of Alpha Fly podcast. So, that you mean between the two of us, mm-hmm. yeah. we're the King Ghidorah. That makes the other one Godzilla, who is the hero.
2: Yeah. Well, in some of the movies, he's the hero. But uh, I mean, look, let's face it, King Ghidorah is the one that everyone's going to be rooting for.
1: Also, King Ghidorah has three heads, right? That's what I thought you were getting at. Yeah,
2: that's what I was getting at. I thought that's what Liam-
1: Yeah,
0: I, no, I know, but what you just said, you specifically said, of Alpha Flight Podcast, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there's there's not actually a, a kingdom of monsters when it comes to that particular genre. There are two of us. That's, well, that's, a, I like, that's an entire army of I two. I like to
2: think of the other podcast as the Mothra
0: of Alpha Flight Podcast. <laughs> Mothra rules. I just want to be the monster that has a knife for a head. That's all I want uh hey hey everyone we're glad that you uh joined us again here for this uh very exciting uh seventh episode on this episode we're going to be covering um one particular issue a uh an issue that sort of uh, stands as maybe a transition point for the series uh alpha flight volume one number 17 and then we're going to spend some time talking about the man the man himself uh specifically uh we'll be talking about an interview that he gave and sort of uh, our feelings about it as uh, Alpha Flight readers, as people who are coming in, whether like me and Adriana, uh, we are longtime readers, or like Doug, we don't know anything about it.
2: Don't know anything about anything. Liam, when you say he, who are you referring to?
0: John Byrne. Oh, okay. thank you. I meant to say that, and then I got distracted. My bad. Mm-hmm. I specifically got distracted by the covers of these issues, by the way. But yeah. th- we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. Um, uh, before then, I just want to uh, put out there. Uh, a big thank you to everyone who's checked us out leading up to this point. Uh people who've recommended us. I've seen some some chatter on the online. And uh I'm uh I wanna say uh a specific hello, hopefully, to my friend Michelle polton Simon, who is a student at uh Lafayette College where I used to work and who did an internship at Valiant Comics. Uh and oh, which when, wow. when she found out we were doing an Alpha Fly podcast, she was Utterly amazed that anyone would decide to do this to themselves and then said she was going to recommend it to all of her friends, which I assume means people who work at Valiant Comics. So I hope she did. And I hope you're listening. Hi, guys. (laughs) Um, Anyways, so uh, before we jump into this exciting (laughs) uh, issue, I I really uh, want to thank to all of our Patreon supporters uh, for Cinepunks. Um, We couldn't exist as a network without y'all literally Um, you help pay for our hosting fees, you help cover, uh, equipment costs, um, and you give us a reason to keep going. And we promise we're going to have some cool, uh, Patreon exclusive content for you soon. Um, not just this show, but, uh, wine and cheese just did an episode that's going up soon. We have the Q and a from our, uh, starfish screening that Cinepunks hosted. So there's going to be lots of cool Patreon content available only for those folks who are, uh, uh, lucky enough i'll, I'll say uh, and generous enough to support us on patreon Leah, those people
2: yeah. who support us on patreon yes do you think they ever look at their bank account and they're like do you know that some of this money goes towards supporting a alpha flight podcast
0: <laughs> god i hope so well i assume all the all the flight stuff supporters uh are uh, at the 20 dollars range because we're so good we're so good that they have to give us all of their money, whereas people who like something like Cinepunks, like the main show, they probably only give like a dollar. That's, that's what I assume. I don't
2: like that you refer to it as the main show.
0: Uh, how about this? The flagship show.
2: That's good. That works.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I'm glad you think so, because I like that as well. Um, uh I also want to thank uh Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Um we haven't yet figured out what our Flight Stuff shirt is gonna be. It might just be the the awesome design we got from Justin Gray, but it might be something else. I don't know what it's gonna be. But when we finally decide on a flight stuff design, not only do I assume all of you will buy it, but I assume we will have it printed at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Uh the <laughs> premier screen printer of the lehigh valley and perhaps the world i don't know i don't know i can't speak on such a large scale okay well uh like i said we're gonna be discussing alpha flight uh volume one number 17 from december 1984 um and you know in a very exciting way we have here a flashback issue yay uh written drawn and covered by john Byrne and doug this is i think our listeners favorite part of the show When you tell them what happened in this issue, can you do that now?
2: The first thing I want to say, Liam, is that we're actually, for the first time, I think, in this entire series, we actually have a different writing credit. Uh, And it's a bit of a cheat because much of this issue is a flashback to an issue of The Uncanny X-Men, uh, or I guess the all-new, all-different X-Men, and uh, and Chris Claremont gets a writing credit for his work that he did there. So this issue begins with Guardian. Remember him, Liam?
0: Yeah, you, he, something, something happened with him. I forget what it was, though.
2: He got blown up, but he's back again, except, no, it's actually a flashback, as I just referred to, of him trying on his costume for the first time. Uh, Heather McNeil, she, uh, uh, she cautions him about his lack of experience as a superhero, but he says a few ironic things about not actually having to be involved in the action. Uh, and then Gary Cody. <laughs> That guy who works for the Canadian (laughs) government Who hasn't really been established to any great extent He rushes in and he tells them that Major Chasen Is upset because Weapon X Has blown a gasket and taken off So this is basically all the lead up To that issue of of X-Men 109 The first appearance of uh, Vindicator slash Guardian So Guardian is super upset about Logan taking off and joining the X-Men and going to the United States. Honestly, that reflects a lot of Canadian feelings about when people gain fame by going to the U.S. Uh, So I can really understand where he's coming from. So he's pressured by the Canadian government to go down to the U.S. and basically invade them and confront Wolverine and bring him back. And if you remember that issue, and if you don't, just go back to our first episode where we go over it. That doesn't go well at all. He gets his butt kicked like completely. <laughs> he actually doesn't even, I guess he gets a couple of shots in, but it's not even close. So all of these flashbacks are framed by Heather McNeil and Wolverine. Uh, Heather's still in hospital from getting her legs all slashed up. They're chatting in the hospital. Uh, and then Puck arrives and him and Wolverine have a nice little chat about how they're both kind of tough guys. I like that actually. <laughs> they have a little mutual respect. Um, Puck tries to convince Heather that instead of disbanding Alpha Flight, they should keep it together. And since they already have a natural leader, that should be really easy. And the natural leader is Heather. Uh, And I'm not sure exactly why she deserves that spot over someone who's actually fought within Alpha And also people who don't get injured just diving into some water. But apparently that's the direction that this comic book is going to go in. Also, Walter uh, slash uh, Sasquatch, he's running dangerous, unlicensed experiments on Aurora, his girlfriend, to try to fix her uh, split personality. And uh, that ends up with her... Apparently getting control over it and also getting a new costume, which we have not seen yet. It's revealed off panel. And I, and I should also mention that a good chunk of the art in this issue, and we're going to talk about this, is basically reused from that old X-Men comic.
0: Uh, Okay, Doug, thanks for your uh, Summary there, and we're going to start off Where you always start with a comic book, the cover Uh, And and we have in front of us here The two covers, because this cover For Alpha Flight number 17 Is a redraw Of the original cover from X-Men 109, which is the, well, the first appearance, as you said, of Vindicator Guardian, and, and I guess sort of the roots of, of Alpha Flight as well. And I want to talk about not just what you all think of this cover, since we sort of talked about that a little bit last time, but what you think of it as a redraw and how you think it compares to this old cover. Uh, Doug, we'll start with you. What do you think about this, these two covers?
2: I mean, first, this is kind of a fascinating opportunity to see, you know, the same artist draw basically the same picture sure. twice. So really it's just about noticing the differences and and uh and sort of the compositional changes that have have gone on here because I I actually and I I'm, I'm interested to hear everyone's thoughts on this. I think I like the Alpha Flight 1 a lot more, like significantly more. So do I. I like the design, like I like the 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 pose. I like the the uppercut is a lot more I think forceful. It actually kind of it, it's it's interesting because it's sort of it focuses on Guardian in a more sort of central way than the other one does, even though he's at the center of that picture, you know, in that one, you can kind of tell that he's sort of a new thing that he, that John Byrne hasn't really gotten a hold on exactly his look yet. But I mean, I really like how he looks on this Alpha Flight cover. Uh, and you know, it is, I actually liked how, uh, the way that Wolverine is kind of Balanced back and being hit as well I think it's a little more dynamic than the original uh, picture as well I mean, I, I actually it's, I think it's a better cover all the way around um, And it, it gave me a real appreciation For kind of Byrne's even improvement I guess you could say Or maybe comfort level with these characters In this fairly short amount of time I guess it actually is like five or six years So not, not that short amount of time uh, Of course, Byrne had plenty of time to work on this cover Since he didn't have to do as much work on the interiors
0: that's true uh adriana what do you think do you feel similarly
1: yeah i totally agree with doug i like this cover a lot more than the uh uncanny x-men 109 cover this is sort of like burns version of the highlights magazine spot the difference puzzle (laughs) (laughs) this cover strikes me as being a lot more intense than the other cover like there's more emphasis on the violence of what's going on like the motion lines are bolder particularly the motion lines for guardian's punch but also Mm -hmm. his power blast at colossus just seems a lot more severe um so that's what jumped out at me looking at it uh and also uh, of course we're we're seeing the action from a slightly different perspective Mm -hmm. just like um the way it's framed like how where the sight lines are
0: I got to agree here and you know, I am doing the spot, the difference and that seems abstractly doing that seems ridiculous, but in the reality, it shows some very intentional decisions. Like one, um, the characters, uh, look different now. Like, uh, uh, in the in the 109 Colossus st- his head he just, no one had figured out his head it was too wide it looked like he had a weird box cut you know that doesn't quite work and in uh the Alpha Flight cover Colossus looks more like himself to me he looks more like the Colossus I'm used to seeing I think with Wolverine it's not just that his look is that different which because it's kind of a similar look in a lot of ways but the actual art is better the, the head on Wolverine in the original X-Men cover it looks a little disembodied it doesn't feel connected to the rest of his body in the same way whereas the uh alpha flight cover you see the pain the 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 movement of his neck it all kind of makes sense what's happening to him um also guardian makes sense the guardian of x-men 109 is not just a scientist but apparently also a bodybuilder he's (laughs) unbelievably ripped he's next level ripped out now Yeah, and then you see this Guardian, which looks more like the Hudson, the James Hudson I am used to seeing, and uh, he just looks more like a normal human in a suit, as opposed to like some sort of you know uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger monster. Uh, Even with the background, uh, Banshee has more sensible hair, uh, and then this is a detail that I forgot to bring up when we first talked about the X Men cover, but he's fixed for this Alpha Flight cover. Storm is flying. On this X-Men cover, it looks like she's just running along, and I just feel like um, she probably flies everywhere. <laughs> I just don't believe that with a cape that big, she's like, I'll just run through these woods with all these trees and stuff. She's definitely flying, and 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 that's a change made. Also, a little minor one, but one I like a lot, that he's also changed the kind of force that they're in, uh, and I really appreciate that. I actually think, though it's a little less detailed in the Alpha Flight one, the detail that is there is a little more interesting for me. I like that background a lot more. Um, yeah, every it's weird how it's the same picture, and yet in every way that I can think of, it's an improvement. Not only that, the movements of Guardian, can I just point out in this X-Men cover, which I didn't notice the first time I looked at it, they're so weirdly casual, like his punch is only coming from the elbow, which is not very effective. His the <laughs> hand, the hand with which he's blasting, it's just casually out there. The hand that he's blasting in the Alpha Flight picture, it, it's like out. It looks like how comic book people draw a hand that's shooting a laser, which sounds like a ridiculous thing to say. But you know what I mean? It looks like it has a sure. purpose. It's like I'm shooting yeah. something. The other one's kind of like, "Hey, Colossus, I'm saying hi." <laughs> I don't know.
2: I mean, we're, we've been staring at this too long now because that left arm on the X Men one is just looking stranger
0: and stranger <laughs> to me. Does it make any sense? His punch is just literally like a bicep curl or something. I, anyway,
2: I like I like to think that the X Men cover is from the perspective of the X Men telling the story sure, of this happening. Sure. So it's like he was he was built like this giant bodybuilder <laughs> and he came out of the sky. Uh, but no, I don't think that probably works if we go any further beyond that.
0: Well, uh, as as uh, we sort of said here, this is largely a clips issue which i think we'll get into as a concept because it's not the first time i think burn has has uh utilized this technique although you know uh learned it from Claremont in some ways i guess but um i want to talk about the, the the new stuff that's in here uh one of the more exciting ones is this idea uh of heather mcneil being leader you know we get puck a character we all appreciate wolverine a character i think we all appreciate uh and we get puck you know telling heather like alpha flight has a leader and it's her uh which is a it's got to be a big decision you know as doug pointed out uh, other than jumping in the water um in an issue and you know being very convincing towards james hudson she hasn't done a lot of hero stuff yet so it's interesting to have this be the the decision for the next step uh Adriana, I'd love to hear, we'll start with you. What did you think of this moment? I mean, you kind of knew it was coming because you've read this before, but how did you yeah. think this was portrayed and how it was done in the comic?
1: Well, reading it now, what really gets me is how easily convinced she is that she is the right person for this <laughs> job. Because when Puck, you know, first floats this idea, she's taken aback and, you know, she's sort of saying, like, I couldn't possibly do this uh, and and so on. And then Wolverine and Puck just say a few cornball lines about you were there from the beginning and and all sorts of other, like, in- inspirational hooey. <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's like, you know what? You're right. Like, I totally should be doing this. And it just seems like an unrealistic um, development, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, but, you know, she is in a heightened state of emotion uh, and feeling a lot of guilt about what happened to james Mm -hmm. so i guess you could argue that making a rash decision like that i guess you could say that it it does make a kind of sense but i just found it a little bit comical and that sort of undercut the the power of the scene
0: well uh you know that's a hot take from adriana saying she doesn't believe in women in leadership (laughs) here on the
1: (laughs) podcast
0: doug I know that you're a real feminist. How do you feel about uh, Heather becoming leader of the of the of the team?
2: I never questioned her ability. <laughs> <laughs> like this is, her, I get why it had to be this way because Heather at this point really, you do really well. Yes, Heather serves no purpose in this comic book anymore.
0: Oh sure, yeah. I mean, she
2: doesn't even have it. Yeah, that's fair. Right. I mean, she her and she really hasn't been. Her only positioning up to this point has been. Paired with James, who's the leader of Alpha Flight, but you know she's never shown any ambition towards it. But then again, I guess to some extent neither has uh, did, did uh, Guardian. Like he was always about, oh, I can't do this. This is you know this isn't really. He always had all this self doubt, and you kind of see um, a little bit in this uh, issue. It it kind of fills in a little bit of that, which I actually kind of like, and it's something we'll talk yeah. about more, I'm sure. But so so I can see how like John Byrne was like, well, I mean they're basically the same. Person you know they basically are coming from The same place but the fact is you know The suggestion is that James was working with the Government for like months or if not years To develop this program of uh, You know Gamma and Beta and Alpha Flight And and to put all of this together But like what are her qualifications to do this At all and let's Face it if you're one of the other members of Alpha Flight No one wants to be Second banana and be like I can't ever be the leader of this group because I just don't Have it in me and you're like they're like I have Powers I can Run faster than, you know, anything, or I can fly, or I can uh, open up a medicine yeah. bag. I just don't understand. Like, they really just swat away the idea that shaman should be a uh, leader. And I, th- I mean, like, they swat that away, even though his case is way stronger than hers. Shh.
0: Oh, 100-,
1: 100%. It's hard to imagine somebody like North Star uh, just accepting right? Heather coming in and taking over. Like, well- there's so many... <laughs> strong personalities involved and and
0: uh, i mean okay can i lay down my hot take on this though go
1: ahead lay it in
0: liam when we take into account the team as a whole this decision doesn't make sense because as you pointed out the obvious leader to me is shaman i i think he is the the, you know he has the most experienced he's the most level-headed he has uh from what i can tell the coolest powers like there's all these reasons right but when we think about uh james hudson i i wonder and again this is just me being speculative speculative i wonder how long ago uh burn thought heather should be the leader of this team right because my experience up to this point is that she's like half his backbone and has been half his backbone since the beginning of the series right like without her he can't get his he couldn't have gotten his act together to be guardian anyway like i i think it makes sense not just because uh for me at least uh, she, what else is she going to do? Is she going to be like the team medic? Like, she, you know, when is she going to be at the table? But it's because uh, I think she was half of what made him the leader at all. Uh, and that with, you know, she's shown to me a lot more insight and and uh belief in the team. Whereas James, you know, all of his internal monologue was about how he, he's not sure he could do it. And then at the drop of the hat, he's ready to move to New York. Come on band in canada behind
2: (laughs) Uh, i like that all of his 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 whole thing is i'm not good enough to do this and he was absolutely right he was yeah no no. not from the beginning (laughs) i I just
0: i just think uh i think narratively we're meant to accept it because we're supposed to feel like and and i kind of do feel like that half of what was him was just her anyway and my man has no powers he has he brings nothing to the table he i mean he built the suit so I guess in that way she's kind of screwed if the suit breaks. Like she might not be able to to like fix it the same way that he could have. But uh, other than making the suit, I'm not sure he showed us at any time that he was qualified to do what he was doing. What, what, does she even have a suit? Oh yeah she she will have the suit yes.
2: I mean, I figured she would have to, but that has not been explained up to this point. So you can understand my my continued reticence. Not only does she not have any powers, she doesn't even have the ability to fake those power.
0: But I mean, that's the thing, though, is that this I mean, the suit exists. The suit isn't like uh, we only work if you have male genitalia, like anyone can put the suit on. So she could have a suit like that's still on the table.
2: Let Shaman wear the suit. He'll That's be doubly true. powerful. Oh my
0: gosh! Yo, I will say Shaman in the suit is kind of like a cool idea, uh, but I just don't think he needs it, man. He's got the he's got the bag. The bag's cool. Let Marino wear the suit. Oh God! Yeah. <laughs> she Let, let's the give suit. the underwater woman an electric suit. Let's just think through that. Can we Doug, about that? Uh, okay, so I uh, you know it. I, I get it that like the comic needs to move forward, and for whatever reason alpha flight needs a leader i will say that as much as i do feel like he's been setting up her as a leader this particular scene to like make that the call it's a weak scene i'm yeah. uh, right it's not a very strong scene is that fair to say adriana
1: yeah it's 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 it's, it's not a convincing scene
0: it feels like a formality. It feels like we got to have someone say it. So this is we'll just put it in this issue. Someone said it. Now we it's on the table. Right. So now we can move forward. Um, do you guys want to jump into uh, uh, Walter's weird scientific abuse of his uh, girlfriend, <laughs> or do you want to talk? Can anyone? Can either one of you? And I don't care which one it is. Explain to me the science of what's supposed to be happening here.
2: Uh, I'll I'll explain it to you, Liam. Go for it. I it was quite obvious. He's putting her in a tube of water and then blasting her with something, perhaps Gamma rays, since that's what he seems to be uh, really interested in, in order to drive her second personality out of her body. And, you know, it works so well that he smashes the tube and almost kills her, uh, And but it works. And also, she knew it was going to work, which is why she had that other costume planned and ready to go. I... I I can't say I understand all of the science behind it, Liam, but it seems like it's a very common thing for psychiatrists to use in these sort of circumstances. Yeah.
0: It's crazy, right? Like, this is... We've talked before about you have to make certain allowances for comic book science, right? But I don't know if I'm in the place where it's like, yeah, uh, you have a psychological disorder. We'll just blast you with something. I don't know what it is, but we'll blast you, and then it'll be better. Is that weird?
1: it's some kind of molecular realignment treatment that
2: <laughs> yeah cuz the molecules are the problem this is not a psychological <laughs> condition her molecules are all oh, screwed right. up
0: she's split at a molecular level she's got jean marie molecules and she's got aurora molecules and they're fighting in there they're fighting
2: i uh, i like to think that this is sort of and maybe this hey th- i i have not read ahead so i don't know if this is the case or not but wouldn't it be nice if this is sort of a placebo experiment and it's just about convincing her that you know that By doing all of this rigmarole with the science and the tube and the water and stuff, it's just about convincing her that she is who she wants to be all along. But I have a feeling that this comic isn't clever enough to go there.
1: Uh, Well, also, Walter has this internal monologue where he straight up says that he isn't just helping her. He has ulterior motives and that this is part of a larger science experiment. So, yeah, he's a total douchebag.
2: I'm not a big fan of this Walter guy. I'm starting to see why nobody in the world likes him.
0: (laughs) I mean, look, I get the idea. Uh, This is a classic comic book thing. I'm a scientist. Someone has a problem. I could go through normal channels, but you know what? I'm pretty sure if I just go to my own personal lab and spend some time, do a couple of dangerous things, I'm going to solve this problem for myself. I don't need to rely on the rest of the scientific community to help me with this. I mean, it kind of feels Uh, like,
2: Liam, that he's like, I'm having sex with this hot French chick. Right,
0: right. But right. sometimes
2: she flakes out a little. So maybe if sure. I do this science thing, I I can have the sexy chick without the flaking.
1: If he's successful, he gets all the glory in the scientific community that he had this scientific breakthrough.
2: <laughs> he might not want to write this one down in any detail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I mean th- that's what I was trying to say is that like I get I get that this is a comic, a bit of a comic book trope, but um. It it's not clear to me exactly what it is that he thinks he's going to accomplish, and I think he is so invested in in the same way that he's now used his relationship with her a couple of times to try to control her in sure. situations. Um, it it's everything about him just is so creepy. He's just such a creeper, and this whole thing weirds me out. And then I'm Doug. I'm glad you pointed this out. She just had that costume ready to go. She's just like, well, hopefully this. Uh, experiment works so that I can put on my new cool costume. It's a weird decision. It's a weird decision. I don't know. I just feel like, and I, you know, I I hate to say this is a bit of a hot take that maybe Burn doesn't have the respect for mental illness that we would want in 2019. I know that's a that's a real spicy take, but I don't know. What do you guys think about that?
2: No worries now, Liam. She's cured. We'll never have to worry about it ever again. (laughs) Oh,
0: that's true. That's true. Everything's okay now. Well, Walter is clearly good at science. It's not like
2: every single thing we've seen him do regarding science hasn't led to some catastrophe or another.
0: Uh, To be fair, as far as I can tell in comic books, most scientists... Uh, lives are catastrophe like every scientist you meet is about to make a bad decision but uh, <laughs> but I will say at least some of them have some success. you know Reed Richards has done some cool things he at least made you know whatever jets and stuff but Walter th- there's no evidence that he's good at this like in any way shape or form
1: he successfully transformed himself into a Sasquatch. so <laughs> that's got to count for something right
2: he transitioned from a football career to a science career that's pretty good <sighs>
0: Hey, let's talk about this cool clip show that we have here. Uh, Cool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) What did you guys think of this? I mean, uh, you know, large portions of this are just recycled, right? That's fair to say. Is that true?
2: Yeah. I I mean, directly recycled. Not not redrawn like the cover is. This is just using the exact same art and dialogue bubbles from the original uh, issue.
1: It made me think back to the snowblind controversy and the debate about whether Byrne was really just phoning it in and, and deliberately doing as little work as possible, uh, that cause he knew he could get away with it. Uh, and I could see how this could be framed along similar lines. Although I actually don't mind that much that there's all this recycled art here.
2: I am going to defend John Byrne now. So I don't have to defend him later. Um, And at least suggest, okay, we've referred to this as a clip issue, like a clip episode, a clip show episode of a sitcom, right? And the reason those existed a lot in the 80s is because the only time you could catch up with a lot of these shows is when a rerun came on. And if you missed it, then you didn't get to see everything that led to where you were. Now, comics are a different animal because you can pick up back issues and things like that. However, I think it's fully possible that a lot of the readers of Alpha Flight never knew that these events uh, dramatized in that issue of, of X-Men took place. So it's possible that this is kind of a gap in their knowledge about who Guardian was and his original relationship with Logan. And since we have Logan now here, it makes sense to fill that in. I just feel like they could have done it with a lot less of what we have here. I mean, really, you know, we've seen Byrne kind of, uh, pave over or show the actions that have occurred in most, the most recent issue. He'll do it in like a few panels, usually all in red or something like that. And he could have done that here. I don't mind that he's using kind of re-showing those events. And I don't really mind that he's not redrawing it. I, I just feel like they show way too much of it. Uh, I th- I, okay, I think
1: that's fair. And
2: also, you know, of course, they. Have, <laughs> I mentioned in our notes that that of course they have to mention uh, have the bit where Storm talks about how she wishes that she could be naked all the time. It just feels <laughs> feels like just of course. What does that have to do with Guardian? How did he didn't even hear those words being said? Yet he they're in this little flashback here. Hey, it it at least you get a little taste of Claremont as you're reading through it.
0: I agree with you in theory, but I feel like what you're saying. I feel the same, but in a much larger criticism. So like, because what you're saying makes sense, if that is in fact true, that there are lots of Alpha Flight readers who probably miss this. And what I was going to ask you guys is, do you actually believe that's true? Because in my heart of hearts, I don't think that's true. And... I would believe that this was to get them up to date if it wasn't so much of that issue. It's so much. If it was bits and pieces, if it was broken up more and interspersed with more original, new narrative stuff, if we were given maybe some scenes that we didn't get a chance to see before that fleshed it out more. But it's it's so much of the same thing, the same art, whatever. And I actually don't believe there's a was at the time a huge audience for Alpha Flight that wasn't also reading X Men. I mean, honestly, I don't know who wasn't reading X Men at at this time anyway. Uh, but uh, I think, yeah, you know what I mean. Like it it was kind of a phenomenon. Um, so i i don't know i mean i guess it's possible and i think it it would make sense to do some recapping Uh, in fact i i kind of like some sometimes when there's recapping um if it's done in a certain kind of way but this is just so much of it that it Mm -hmm. makes me not want to defend him if it was a shorter section if he had altered it in some way uh i guess even a redraw um you know, even if it was a redraw, I would still prefer there to be significant changes, like different mm-hmm. different ways of showing the same sort of narrative. And I, think, I just
2: wish it was more from his perspective, right? I mean, right. more more thought bubbles, more about what his inner monologue right. is going on. I mean, they do do a lot of that, even in the original issue they did. And one of the nice things, and one of the things I really do like about this issue of Alpha Flight is that. They they provide that kind of backstory to it, and you get to see his self-doubt, which, again, we're kind of sick of at this point, but the guy's dead, so it doesn't matter. But, you know, you get to see what his motivations were, things that weren't really revealed in that original comic, and I like that. It's kind of like a special bonus feature, adds a little kind of perspective on things. But, yeah, couldn't they have just added a little bit more of that to when the actual actions of that is- issue take place? The very fact that they just basically copy and paste it in does make it feel a bit cheap.
0: I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I get, well, you know, we've talked about this sort of where our different uh, excitement levels are. And um, I think that though we've had plenty of critical things to say about other issues, this is the, this was the first issue where I really was like a little bit frustrated as a, as a rereader because of that, because I was reading so much of the same stuff. And then what was new, you know, wasn't that great, and so I think the combo of those two things kind of put me in a negative space on the on the narrative of this issue, uh, more than the other things. I, I, I'll I'll bust on these Alpha Flight all the time because I think they're fun and funny, and and there's lots of things to like kind of joke about. But this is the first one where I really was like, you know what, Burn, you know what, like I, I just. I was unhappy with it I, I I don't know and and I guess it it was primarily because I felt like so much of it was lifted. um I want to get some idea from y'all you, you know Doug, you've said a little bit uh where I, I kind of have an idea of what you're thinking, Adriana, what do you think did you feel like this was frustrating? Did you feel like, oh, it wasn't so bad? I kind of liked what we did get what 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 do you think and what do you think you would have thought back then if you had gotten this right off the newsstand?
1: I probably would have been annoyed. <laughs> Because I would have already read all of this. I
2: got something I need to add, Liam, because I made a mistake earlier, Go ahead. Um, and it's kind—it's kind of, it's kind of a, a major mistake, which is that the original issue. This might actually re-make all of us rethink it a little bit. The original issue's cover was not by John Byrne; it was by Dave
0: Cockrum. Oh, oh my gosh! So that's a big—that's a pretty big—that's mistake. a pretty big
2: mistake. Which I'm glad I caught before the end of the issue, so it's, no one is going to yell at us. But so. But doesn't that kind of... How did
1: none of us remember that?
2: Well, I mean, we're just so used to John Byrne doing every cover that we talk about on this, probably. But that really does color things a little regarding the changes that he made.
1: Yeah, it's almost like Byrne saw that cover and thought... I could have done this better, so I'm gonna. He
2: did, actually. so
0: <laughs> I mean, and he's not wrong. He right. did it better. But it is a little different to be like, it's one thing to update your own thing. It's another, though, to look at that one and be like, yeah, yeah I could do. It. I'm, a little, I'm better than this guy.
1: That's really fascinating. Because now I'm wondering what how, how Dave Cockrum felt when he saw that Byrne basically redid his cover.
0: Probably not great. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I mean, and I'm sure Byrne there's, did not it's
2: still get his character, it. right? No. I mean, it's still John Byrne's character, and and I guess I feel better about it because the alternative is that they could have just used the art from the original right. again. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I, I guess the other option, aside from both of those, is that he could have just drawn a whole sure. new cover of something entirely different. Uh, but it would kind of have to have been Heather laying in bed while <laughs> Logan is talking to her. So, I, I I'm okay with it. I'm I'm fine with it in general, with the overarching realization that John Byrne is just not the most pleasant person.
0: I mean, that's, that's fair. Uh, anything else? I, I want to jump into the, uh, uh, a little bit of talk. We've mostly covered the art, but just to mention if there's anything that stuck out, was there anything, I mean, other than, uh, our different opinions about him just lifting the art from the whole issue. Was there anything that stuck out about the art? Was there anything that was particularly good or, uh, likewise, particularly bad that, that, uh, you wanted to comment on
2: uh i want to say one thing liam and it's the i I think we've said it all for the most part at least i've said my piece on it i do want to say that the first page having a having guardian smiling which we i don't think we saw it in the entire run up to this point and him like you know it it and and also the shock factor of seeing this character who you know the last couple of issues are really about the echoes left by his death that, and seeing him alive and smiling, I think it's impactful. I think it's a really nicely drawn uh, piece. Uh, and it really is the only piece of art that really left any impact on me in the whole issue.
1: Yeah, I was going to comment on that page, too, just because I like the artistic choice to have him there with an all-white background. Because it's almost like the specter of Guardian uh, making right. one last appearance before fading out forever, basically.
0: I was also going to say that. In fact, if there was a poster that was just this image with the words "Dreams Die Hard" at the top, <laughs> I'd put that. I'd put that up on my wall in a second. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. I think there's something about that that is. It takes what could be, uh, kind of almost like a corny thing, and it, it makes it kind of. I don't know. Impactful. It, it's. It's. It's really the outstanding moment in this whole comic uh, issue, in this whole issue, let's say. There's just a couple of quick things,
2: which is that, There's a mention of the Weapon X project in here. We haven't really gone into that. I'm sure it's something we'll explore more in the future. But obviously, that becomes a huge part of Wolverine's mythology later on. Uh, And I think maybe it's been mentioned briefly in a couple of issues. But it it, it just, you know, the very fact that it got brought up again was something notable. And also, maybe this is just me as a Canadian, but I thought it was interesting that in the first issue and the kind of this, the uh, the issues leading up to the first issue of Alpha Flight we they they showed the premier uh, sorry the prime minister of Canada Pierre Trudeau as being sort of behind the project to some extent and he is conspicuously absent in this flashback they use other kind of uh uh government officials uh as opposed to him because of course at this point in the real world at the time that this comic was published he was no longer prime minister of Canada
0: yeah that's it i'm glad you noticed that i had not noticed that at all that's interesting that they would just i mean not surprising but just interesting that they would make that decision Mm-hmm. um yeah nothing else i guess with the art i, I mean i will say uh I. and I, i'm not trying to be cynical but you know Byrne has found a number of ways for uh him to present aurora without clothes on this is a thing she's you know the freak out is post shower mm-hmm. the experiment necessitates her being nude in a water tube I guess I don't know why there's just all these reasons for him to 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 do that and um you know it's a comic we're appealing to young folks whatever I get it but it is funny how it's starting to become a theme, and I'm trying to remember. I feel like it might become like a, a consistent theme for a while. And I don't know. I don't know what to. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, <laughs> but it is what it is, you know. I mean, Mar- you know, in the '90s, Marvel put out a swimsuit issue of its of its female characters. So clearly, this is not as egregious <laughs> as things are going to get. But uh, still, it is. Didn't
1: they do a male swimsuit issue too? Or ol- was that
0: ol- like way they? Later? It was way late. They did uh, like three to four years of the. Female only. Before they were like, oh, I guess we have male male characters too. We should do that. Um, And even even I would say, like in the female one, there were occasionally male characters, but they were usually like in the background. You know, there it's like Colossus holding up three ex ladies in (laughs) string bikinis or whatever.
1: (laughs) Just like why I don't.
0: Okay, hey, so that was uh, issue seventeen. We're about to transition into uh, another narrative run here but this was this was one of those uh take a breath give some context add a couple of plot points in but uh you know sort of a a chance to to pivot to new things uh but we wanted to take an opportunity to discuss something else uh uh the the man behind the team john Byrne, gave an interview in uh marvel age is this number two is that right?
1: Number two. Wow. Number two, May yeah.
0: 1983. Uh, and we thought it'd be interesting to talk about that interview and talk about it in the interview. He talks about each of the characters and for us to kind of respond to that, whether we think it, it, it those characters sort of stick to that or um, how we sort of respond to his talking about them.
2: We, I don't think we've really delved into John Byrne to any great extent. I mean, it's something we've kind of been holding on to. But what makes this particular interview very unique is that it was done right as Alpha Flight was about to launch. So this is, you know, you're getting his thoughts. Uh, basically the bible that he's put together in his brain or elsewhere of what this series is going to look like he's putting that into words in this interview and uh, Marvel Ages for those who don't know it's sort of like a behind-the-scenes Marvel publication Uh, it's as close I guess to 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 Marvel journalism quote-unquote but you know it's basically a lengthy interview with one of their most popular creative minds and Uh, And Alpha Flight is on the cover. I mean, this whole thing is built around a preview of Alpha Flight. So it's a really unique opportunity, I think, to start, to go back to the beginning and see where we are now. Because uh, we just finished talking about the December issue. uh, And this is going way back to the very beginning. I think it's a really cool thing to be able to look at where his brain was there and how much those concepts have changed up to the point we've reached.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, This starts off... uh a little bit talking about the members and whatever. I I, I don't, do you guys want to go through that first or do you want to spend a little time talking about John Byrne as a, as a, as a creator?
2: I think, I think we'll, you know, in terms of our uh, John Byrne on on a kind of a wider scale, we're going to go dip back into that again and again, but I think let's, let's, let's stick to the facts uh, for this go around and to the words that he has uh, in this interview.
0: Sure. Well, in this issue of Marvel Age, uh, there this is sort of his opportunity to get people excited about uh, Alpha Flight, understanding that not everyone maybe caught their appearance in X-Men and you know are probably interested. Byrne is kind of known at this point for working on other things. And so uh, whether that's Fantastic Four or X-Men or um, apparently Power Man and Iron Fist, which I did not know. Uh, so uh, the, the first thing they ask him about is the members of Alpha Flight, and he starts off with... Uh, James Hudson, at this time, uh, uh, named Vindicator, but they're, I guess they're switching it to Guardian. He he lets them know, and uh, one of the things I noticed in this interview, whether he's talking about Guardian, is um, uh, he mentions that he has the, the ability to lift objects by negating gravitational effects, um, uh, and and it also gives him the ability to render himself at rest relative to the turning of the earth, which is how he does that disappearing trick of his by suddenly taking off westward at a thousand miles an hour. What did that, is that, a, I, I don't remember either of those things happening.
1: I had the same response.
0: He, he does, he does kind of do
2: that right, right at the end of his first appearance and, and in the reprint that we just talked about, like this the X-Men have basically beat his ass and he is taken off and trying to run away and then he suddenly just disappears and i guess that's what that is referring to.
0: Yeah, i guess so. I I what did you guys think of this description? I I I definitely get the uh you know, he gets into the personality which is true. He's a reluctant hero. He doesn't really want to be doing this. He doesn't see himself in that role. Um but uh, you know, i i was kind of surprised that this idea that he has an artificial magnet I, I guess i just hadn't thought about it enough like you know, he shoots electricity and he flies. It just didn't occur to me to think of it in the terms of magnetism and magneto. Mm-hmm. What did you all think about this? Go ahead, Adriana.
1: I have the same response, and I think it's because the specifics of his powers and what he's capable of are not very clearly stated. So we can sort of use context clues and, and visual cues and get an idea of what his his power suit is capable of and what he's capable of as guardian. But as far as like the specifics of it being related to gravitational effects and so on, um, yeah, that that is not spelled out in the comics <laughs> at all.
0: I don't remember anything about that, Doug. What, what did do what did you think reading this description of of uh, our man James Hudson, RIP?
2: I mean, the the <laughs> a few of these descriptions have powers that are not necessarily <sighs> they're not as visual or, or as visibly presented in the comics that we've actually read as uh, maybe Byrne seems to think. Uh, I do like the fact that he mentions here that uh, that he never wanted to call Guardian Vindicator, uh, and that name was kind of forced upon him. I, what he says here is kind of strange, though. As far as I'm concerned, Canada doesn't have anything to vindicate. What does that mean?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, my first response when I read that was like, what are you even talking about? But then I thought... Yeah, but vindicator is it even why is that the name? What what is it? So the suggestion I guess right is that vindication means that um Canada is guilty and he's making them innocent? Am I wrong? Hmm. What 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 does the name vindicator even mean in of itself, let alone his commentary on it?
2: I guess he could be vindicating Wolverine in the sense that he's trying to kind of provide him some sort of path back to redemption by bringing him back to Canada. You're right. The name does not really make any sense. And all it, 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 I mean, Guardian does work much better. I mean, I have to admit, Byrne was right on that. Guardian's a much better name.
1: Yeah, for sure.
2: And I mean, Guardian also refers back to our beloved national anthem, O Canada, which is, says, we stand on guard for thee, right? Guardian.
0: Uh, sure. I'm sure that's exactly what he was thinking about.
2: I actually, I am 100% sure that is what he was thinking. <laughs>
0: Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, I was, I did, I really just thought he picked it because it sounded cool. Um, so then he moves on to Sasquatch. Our man Walter Lankowski. Um, here's just a random. This isn't that important, but uh, how big is football in Canada, Doug?
2: That's actually an excellent question. Liam, because it might be a little bit of a surprise to our listeners uh, who are not in Canada or haven't spent much time there, that Canadian football is actually quite popular. I mean, it goes okay. it goes through fits and starts, and it certainly it doesn't compare to the NFL's popularity in the United States. But I mean, it is a you know, they the, we fill stadiums consistently. The, the there are stars football stars that come out of Canadian football that that become you know pretty much household names. Here in Canada, uh, it 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 certainly there are periods of time where it's more popular than others, but it is consistently quite popular. Probably about to be destroyed by the launch of Vince McMahon's XFL, but uh, because it's going to take a lot of their players. But I mean, it it I don't think people watch it because they think that it's superior football. They like it because it's Canadian to some extent, even though it doesn't doesn't have many Canadian players.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. I just didn't know. So when he's talking here about his went to through college on a football scholarship. I was kind of like, is that is that accurate for Canada? I know that's a huge part of our culture, but I just didn't know how prevalent that was in Canada. The
2: weird thing is that did, did he are we thinking that he played football for the NFL because he said that he made like millions and you're not going to make millions playing in the CFL.
0: I just assume that Byrne doesn't know how much you make if you are <laughs> playing football in Canada.
2: Liam, I got something that I want to mention here. Sure. They spelled Walter
0: Lankowski's name wrong. Yeah,
1: they forgot the G.
0: There's a G in his name, but oh yeah, oh my god, <laughs> who is doing copy editing at Marvel in the eighties? Because maybe, maybe that's maybe it wasn't the same someone's person
1: fault. Who missed Ottawa?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but maybe, maybe that's how it was supposed to be spelled originally, and they changed it later. We don't know
0: this for sure. You're so. You're so upbeat. You are always looking for some. No, this is a screw up, Doug. It's a screw up. All right, <laughs> I'm just saying. They've established how you spell his name. That's not a, something that is. It's it's a it's a it's a typo. Okay. Um. So, uh, then we get to uh one of my favorite characters, uh, Shaman Doctor Michael, two young men. Um. Uh. He. Gets into a little bit about who he is. Uh compares him to Doctor Strange, which I kind of appreciate. Uh what did you all think of this description? Does is this one of the ones that kind of holds up for what we know at this point?
2: Uh I feel a little iffy about some of the, the description yeah. of the character here. I mean we've suspected yeah. from the beginning we've suspected from the beginning that maybe he doesn't have that much knowledge about um, indigenous knowledge and uh, particularly how the medicine bag's importance to uh, a number of, oh, uh, well, I mean, to, to Native American people generally. Of course, I should say uh, Indigenous people to Canada uh, and how important that is to them. But here, I mean, he describes it as if you want to sum it up, he's Doctor Strange, but he does it with potions and herbs and little dolls and stuff. Which that I mean, it does seem not necessarily dismissive. He he obviously really wants us to know that this is a powerful character on the level of Doctor Strange. He even suggests that he can do things. He has power over the physical world that 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 is beyond what Doctor Strange has. But I don't think that he is thinking of it more beyond. This isn't you know this this is a mystical Indian character is what he's seeing it as as opposed right. to this is a three dimensional indigenous person.
1: And there's something a little bit condescending about the way he phrases it too. I mean that
0: <laughs> little dolls and stuff is not the most sensitive <laughs> description of what could actually be seen as a religious you know viewpoint in the world. Um I also just this is completely it's almost bad to say this, but I'm gonna say it anyway. Is this also an accurate description of Doctor Strange? Like doesn't Doctor Strange also do spell like there are spells involved in magical items, right? Yeah. Am I wrong about that? Is it's, it's it, his description makes it sound like Doctor Strange is just like a like almost like a psychic or something. He, he just uses the power of his mind, and I'm like, no, there's, no, there's other mystical, stuff involved, right? Like
1: Eastern elements yeah. to
0: it as well. <laughs> oh my god, I just I feel like this whole interview. We'll get into more of it. But so far, I'm feeling like Byrne just shorthands everything. Everything is short. You know, Doctor Strange, he's got a strong mind. And, uh, you know, uh, Shaman's got dolls and stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, Lankowski, he's uh orange Hulk. He's a football guy. Yeah, it's great. Uh, like, no, nothing feels as... He doesn't feel as nerdy about these characters as I want him to be. Is that fair to say? No, it's
2: very fair. I mean, what I find really interesting, and he talks about it later, and we're going to get to it, I'm sure, in just a few minutes, is that he's kind of was locked into these characters right. because he only created them as kind of opposite Members to members of the X-Men He wanted people who had kind of similar powers So they could go kind of toe-to-toe with them And so you get the impression That he kind of had to fill in the backstory Afterwards, he's kind of retconning Right from the beginning to make sure that these Characters are at least interesting enough for him to care for But, I mean, when it comes To a character like Well, the new characters he creates, he just tables Immediately, but even someone like Guardian, who obviously he didn't care that Much about since he never really gave him Much to do, and then he killed him off
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah oh man uh, so uh, then we get into Aurora and northstar um the i I was thinking of this shorthand thing, um partly because of the description he gives of these characters, like their backstory, which is has a lot more detail to it, I think when he gets into it later on, right, like he adds a lot more texture, yeah. i feel like <laughs> uh is that is that fair to say? <laughs> Sorry.
2: I'm just thinking back to when we were talking about his opinion and his attitude towards mental health issues. And he just has it written as Aurora is not a very healthy lady psychologically. And that's just it. That's that's all we know about her.
0: It's sort of the way that like, I feel like back in the day, like your parents would tell you about something that they couldn't, t- they'd just be like, well, she's not well psychologically and that's it that's all you got no more detail that's about how much he's thought this through at this point is yeah she's not doing good jean-marie doesn't like aurora all right cool that's about and then i love the response of the interviewer that's interesting there's no real physical transformation just the putting on a costume changes her personality yeah she turns into another person altogether jean paul's very worried about that yeah, he would that's be worried also, about
2: that. That's also not accurate, by the yeah. way. Yeah,
0: no. yeah. I mean, especially because almost immediately she can change stuff changes because of trauma and things. You know, like this. Yeah. His description here doesn't even hold for like two issues, whatever. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, and then we get into uh, Snowbird. Does he hear Doug for you? Answer your burning question: Why does Anne McKenzie exist? I would say no. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I do want to mention just going back to North Star since we didn't really mention him. There is no suggestion at all about his sexuality here. I mean, I guess we wouldn't expect there to be since even at the time that we're reading this, it's only subtext. But you know, there isn't kind of any offhanded comments that that guide us towards that at all. Which I think you know, listeners of this podcast would probably want to know that.
1: Yeah, he. But he, I mean, to be fair, he doesn't really say that much about North Star. Period. Just that he was. What does he say here? So. You know, he says that they, that Jean Paul and Jean Marie were um, separated at birth and raised in different environments, and that Jean Paul, uh, quote, ended up being raised in a much more open and free environment. So their personalities were molded very differently. And that's all we get on North Star.
2: That's absolutely true. That's
0: the whole thing.
2: Is it bad that we are seven episodes into an Alpha Flight podcast? And the thing that he's written here, which is the first time they shook hands, they discovered the additional power they didn't know they had, the blinding bright light they can generate. Is it bad that I never knew that they had that power? <laughs> you didn't know that? I mean, I know when they shook hands, it, like they had a little light, but have they ever used that to any great uh, uh, benefit during a fight?
0: I So I think this is where we're a little out of... Uh, Right. They they appeared in other comics and this happened, I thought. Am I wrong about that?
1: Yeah, Machine Man. And actually, I think it happens in one of the earlier Alpha Flight issues, but um, (laughs) obviously it wasn't that memorable to any of us.
2: Going back to Snowbird, Liam, um, no, this does not provide me any information about a character that I have to say... one of these days we should rank our interest levels into the individual members of <laughs> Alpha
0: Flight. I mean, we, we can do that now. Where's, where's, uh, where's Snowbird on your list here?
2: It's strange because like, I actively dislike Sasquatch, yeah. but I don't have any feelings at all on Snowbird. I, <laughs> oh, she's man. just still a
0: complete blank slate.
1: Other than she shouldn't be, like, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white woman.
0: Right, right. That is a problem. Well, and and, and especially because we had this conversation, right, where we weren't sure how much of this he had thought through. He's sure. already figured out that she's some sort of in the the child of indigenous gods, uh, who, by the way, I guess are also blonde-haired, blue-eyed. I don't know. It's just yeah. weird, right? Like, he's already thought this through. And even Nilvana, by the way, is a real, quote-unquote, <laughs> Eskimo us We're doing I'm, I'm real not gonna mythology knock him, again.
2: I'm not going to knock him too hard for using Eskimo here. I mean, this yeah. is, we are talking about 1983. I don't like how he follows that up with we're doing real mythology again. I mean, yeah, re- <laughs> I'm sure you're being super respectful here, John Byrne.
0: <laughs> well, again, but even if, let's even say this isn't, if this... W- isn't totally hackneyed like this is like really connected to real people's beliefs no part in their beliefs was like yeah then they have a half breed who looks like a blonde lady like that's not a thing that was you know what i mean like it 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 would actually be better if he was pulling it out all uh, out of his own head because then it would it's like well yeah sure they're just Magic white people he made up, so of course they have a magic white baby. But no, yeah. he tied this to an actual indigenous community and then they
1: had a magic white baby? Why? Yeah. It doesn't make it's sense. It becomes more insulting to try to pass it off as legitimate Absolutely. mythology and claim it's grounded in actual indigenous beliefs when it's not.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent.
2: They're basically treating it like 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 Norse mythology, except that is an ancient mythology, while this is something that lives and exists right now.
1: Well, hey, there are some radical traditionalist Odin worshippers up in the Pocono Mountains. Yeah,
0: true, true.
2: Look, I don't want to say that they're all racist, but come on. Let's they're
0: all it. racist. Uh, th- I mean, this came up one time I was at a, a, a reading that Neil Gaiman did. And I, oh, wow. I asked him specifically about American gods and then a little bit about salmon and sort of saying like, you know, you've done a lot of fictional work with things that people actually believe in some a long <laughs> time ago, some they still believe in. How do you do that? How do you make use those characters in a way that feels sort of respectful? And, you know, he had a really brilliant answer that I wish I could remember for you right now. <laughs> do you think of it? <laughs> hey,
2: oy, bruv, what are you saying there, sir? What,
0: I hate you so much.
2: (laughs) Come on, mate. You and me, we get a point.
0: (laughs) You like the sex pistols. No, I'm I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) Neil Gaiman does not have a Cockney accent. And I'm I'm pretty sure you guys just alienated every (laughs) English listener we might have had.
0: No, it was not. It was very much like, you know, you just have, you're telling stories and you just have to take seriously um, those characters and take them seriously within your world and, yeah. and give them the weight that they deserve. And that's not happening here. In fact, the thing that we skipped is this long meditation on how it is that Snowbird can shape change without messing with the physics of her mass too much.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you you
0: mentioned this, Liam,
2: because you were just said the weight that she deserves, and this is very interesting that you said that because <laughs> the suggestion here is that whatever she turns into is the same, I guess, general size and weight that she is, which I don't think is really played out in the comic at all. When she turns into a bird, is she really a 108-pound bird? Is she like a giant bird, but maybe we don't really see it because the perspective doesn't really give us a sense of how gigantic she is?
0: No, I mean my criticism is not that it's the the from a super nerd aspect of like oh whatever it's that he's thought about it that, that he has to explain like look we don't have to explain where the extra mass comes from cuz she's magic and you know oh. that they had to take the time to make this explanation it just feels like he spent more time thinking about this apparently massive physics problem which by the way shape changing superheroes have dealt with throughout comic books like i, I at no <laughs> point when she turned into a bear did i stop and go Wait a minute! Where'd all that extra mass come from?
1: Yeah, I don't think anyone stopped and thought that. <laughs> Never,
0: not even, uh, not even once. And yet, he spent more time thinking about that than about the impact that Nelvana would have on any indigenous readers mm. of the comic book. It just, it just is such a weird moment that he spends all that time explaining it, and then when he gets to her origin, it it feels like he spent less time thinking about it in a real way. I don't know. That's that's just my take on it. And then, and then we get into the most important character in the entire series, <laughs> Marina. No other name you should know. No other Ooh. name. Just Marina. <laughs> That's what he says. That's literally what he says.
1: I like that Burn is very upfront about the fact that there is nothing of particular depth, no pun intended, Uh-oh. going on with Marina. Like He just wanted to explore a super weird backstory and saw her character as a way to facilitate that. Uh, I found that really funny.
2: There is an interesting suggestion here, which is that he goes, I don't want to talk about her over much, which that's a weird thing to say, because issues two, three, and four are almost totally concerned with who and what Marina is, which, of course... In, in the actual issues proper Was not the case at all We take a, a large break away from Marina And we don't really get a lot of that backstory uh, Until a little bit later You know, we start with it in issue two But there's kind of a gap afterwards So it's, it's interesting Apparently he had more plans to investigate her as a character That somehow got sidelined I wonder if the Namor stuff just happened to be You know, it connected up in a way that he was like Well, that makes more sense Let's sideline her with that Yeah
0: It's... It it also feels, yeah, like he, he's very honest about how she functions, and it feels very callous in a way, but again, uh, you know, I don't know how tied he is to these characters, and we're going to talk more about that anyway. Um, he then gets into Puck, and s- sort of, <laughs> this, this whole section is just interesting. I don't know <laughs> if when he wants to tackle what he has to say about Puck here. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, let's give it to Doug. Doug, what, what does he say about Puck?
2: Well, apparently Puck is abnormal because he's small. Oh god. <laughs> that, that I mean, I will say that he doesn't mention that he's in pain all the time here, which is something that has been reinforced many times uh in his recent appearances and is apparently ca- kind of a defining aspect of who he is. But you know, I mean, this is the Puck that we know. He's a uh, he's doesn't have any powers outside of the fact that he's basically this small muscle-bound Person who has all of these different fighting skills, and he's called Puck because of his tendency to do cartwheels and spin around rooms and crash into things. Which, by the way, Liam, you may remember a few episodes back where I suggested that he's called Puck because of a hockey puck. That totally reinforces that.
0: Uh, or Puck from Shakespeare also crashed into things. You don't know?
2: Spins around rooms. I've never seen a puck spin them.
0: around a room in my life. <laughs>
2: He also wears a black costume with a P on the chest. Thanks for adding that, John Byrne.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I and mean, that
1: really that really cements the picture in your mind.
0: <laughs> it's just weird, right? Because Puck is one of the more charismatic characters in the whole series, that this yeah. is how little thought has gone into this character who turns out to actually be interesting. Isn't that weird? I don't know. Adriana, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay cool <laughs> i don't know it's just it's just it, it was just surprising to me because that's a character who i just assume there's some backstory we haven't been revealed yet and what we get here is yeah he's uh he's real thick for a short guy and he's good at fighting and he literally says trained in kung fu savat savat yes i don't know what that is and anything else that comes along
1: it's it's a French style of boxing that includes kicking. It's basically kickboxing, but French. Okay. That's right.
0: And anything else that comes along. So in case one of you jerks out there invents a new martial art, Puck's good at that too, just so you know. <laughs> it's weird. It's a weird description. Uh, it's
1: interesting that he he seemed to put a lot more thought into a few of the other characters, but arguably Puck wound up being like one of the more like multifaceted or interesting characters in the eventual series.
2: I mean, I think in some ways that's to Burns' credit, right? As he's yeah. kind of writing these characters and getting a feel for them, he takes to certain ones and probably <laughs> pushes other ones to the side. But I mean, you can, up to this point, reading the series, you can tell some of the characters that he likes more than
0: others. Yeah. And yeah. And, and he talks a little bit here uh where these characters come from. You know, some started as, as fan characters. But he talks about what we've sort of already covered a little bit, which is that these are these are characters he created to counteract specific characters on the X men. I mean, even saying that Shaman was originally a weather controller, um, which would have been a real bummer to me if that's all he was. Um, I'm glad that he saw clear to expanding those powers. Um, but that each of these, uh, characters were really just thinking through, um, what was going on with the X men. Uh, I I don't know. It's it's not a surprise or anything. We've already talked about that, but it's interesting to have him say it in an article in Marvel Age, uh, which is designed to get you excited to read the comic. I don't. I'm not getting the passionate uh, endorsement that usually someone has when they're trying to convince you to check something out. I I don't know.
2: <laughs> I mean, I like. I mean, I like the fact that he's he's forward about it. That he's he's very honest uh, t- to to this extent anyway about w- what these characters kind of evolved out of. You know, it doesn't mean they can't be something more, but I mean, a lot of Marvel characters, a lot of very famous Marvel characters, started as these kind of single appearances and then became something more as as sort of meat got attached to their bones, so to speak. I do like the fact right. that that he, he mentions the fact that Aurora and Northstar are twins, and then he said... That uh, that he hadn't really worked with twins before, and he'd forgotten that Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch are twins, which is a, a c- confusion that I had <laughs> early on in our episodes as well. I think when I think sure. about Aurora and and uh, and North Star, I sometimes confuse Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch for them.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that actually. I n- I never did that, but yeah. Um, I I think because by the time I was reading much Scarlet Witch, I just thought of her as uh uh the lady who was into Vision, which is gross. Um, sure. <laughs> um, a lot of people picking the
2: synthetic option. These no,
0: that's fair. That's very fair. Uh, and then he gets, Liam, yes.
1: Why are you a robophobe? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, if if look, if we're all gonna pick something to be a monster about, I'm fine with being a monster towards uh, artificial life. I'm okay with that.
2: <laughs> L- Liam, we should all get on this you know, hump and robot train, because then when they finally rise up against us, we'll have some sort of connection to them. We can already have, you know, maybe we can, maybe I can be their pet. Maybe, who knows?
0: I don't think the earth is going to be around long enough for the robots to rise against us. <laughs> <laughs> by Ooh, t- thank goodness. <laughs> by the time they figure out they should, we've already destroyed the planet anyway. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's no, there's no Harlan Allison future.
0: <laughs> um,
2: Liam, the next the next part yeah. of this interview, I think, is the most interesting part when it. he
0: talks about uh, Alpha Flight as that kind of Mission Impossible.
1: Oh yeah.
2: Well, I think this is so fascinating because this goes to the core of his concept behind the the series as a whole and how it differentiates himself from the X Men. That this just, just let's just read it actually. So he, he's asked about the new characters. He goes. Well, the two new characters came about when I decided that the thrust of the book would be a kind of Mission Impossible setup. Vindicator would pick whoever was suitable for the mission. I decided that since they weren't all going to be cos- cosmic missions, and they weren't always going to be going up against Doctor Doom, we'd need at least one character who was just an ordinary guy. And I also decided that since the rest of the group was more or less representative of provinces of Canada. So it explains why he picked like a, a, a character that was in the, uh, the far furthest eastern part of the country, the Maritimes, which is where Marina came from. And he got one from Toronto. And then he's, he's like, they were also created to expand to give me a greater pool to draw from. Eight characters is easier to juggle in a mission impossible situation than six. That's so interesting because it, it explains a couple of things. One, it explains why we barely ever see the group all together because the concept was you wouldn't see the group all together because they're not a group. They're, you know, I'm a huge fan actually of the classic mission impossible series, uh, where, where you have, You are presented with a mission of some sort, and then you got Vindicator. He's like, well, all right, the the characters that are perfect for this mission are Marina, Aurora, and Shaman. And then he puts them out in the field to work on this, and maybe he has another mission and sends other characters out to take care of that. It's a really unique way of approaching a superhero book, which, of course, was abandoned immediately.
1: Yeah, I think this, this original concept would have actually made for a more interesting series. And you you still could have had these interlocking storylines where there could be character development or like relationship development, you know, between characters, but not have to have them be in every issue.
2: It's, it says he says, check the CBC News. There's something happening here, and then Vindicator will pick whoever is suitable for whatever mission, and off they'll go and fight the bad guys. Yeah, there really is. I think there's something to that idea. I can see how there would be pressure to try to. To try to include more of a group dynamic to everything and have characters playing off each other. But, I mean, the fact is he basically splits up the characters into little groups from the beginning anyway, so it doesn't seem like there was much holding him back from following this as a concept outside of, maybe, the fact that They were separated from the Canadian government right from the beginning. So, we're with, you know, outside of like watching the CBC and finding something to come up with a mission for, it kind of would have made more sense for them to maintain that relationship with the government and the government to feed them missions. But I guess I can see how, you know, that would add another layer of complexity, you know, about the idea, oh, he's working for the government. Maybe people don't want to see that with their superheroes.
1: Right.
0: I think Marvel has concepts that remind me of this later on. Um, Right. Especially, and I don't remember the name of the series, but there was a series where Doctor Strange would pick random uh, superheroes to team up on things, you know, and and, and get them to uh, do usually like mystic related missions and whatever. Um, and you could, you could also argue that maybe in some sense, uh, parts of the Defenders was kind of like this, like these are heroes in their own worlds that come together for specific purposes, you know. Um, my thought, though, is that this works a lot better with established heroes. Like yeah. when I read this, the problem is, let's say you we we get those first couple issues where we see like a puck, and then for whatever reason narratively it doesn't make sense to bring puck in again for a while, then like you just don't get to know that character. He, he just isn't present. Like if you have a bunch of characters that already have sort of established uh, stories, and then you just bring them in at random times, I could see that feeling very cool because it's like a broader scope and a larger kind of idea of a team. In fact, in some ways that's how I feel uh, when I watch uh, the justice league cartoons. I don't know if the mm-hmm. comics function this way. Cause I don't read DC cause death to DC, but I do enjoy their animated output. And, uh, you know, for me, I don't recognize all the characters, but a lot of the characters, uh, I at least recognize who they are. <laughs> like I have an idea like, Oh, that's so-and-so. And that makes those missions, really exciting and it does feel at least at times in those animated uh output that it is like it's a team, but it's more like an association. Like you don't know mm-hmm. who's, or at least those are my favorite ones. When who knows what configuration you're going to get? Uh, it's not the same every time. It's Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman. Like there are, you know, it's Batman and it's John Constantine and it's Star Girl. Like why? I don't know, but that's a thing. And so I, I like that aspect, that randomness aspect of it. But again, sure. these are all characters who have their own life, and even if you don't know them deeply you have some sense of them with the alpha flight folks they're complete unknowns like they don't have any space and so i don't know if that worked. i don't know if what he's describing would have worked if he had stuck with it or not because i don't know how long it would have taken to care about the characters and maybe that's just me my bias as a reader but that's what i thought when i read that was like well, I- i'd rather see you do that with a bunch of people that i'm at least sure. vaguely familiar
1: right. with
2: I do think it kind of explains why it was structured like it was with the backup stories and the origins as they went along. Because I think the idea is like, oh, this will endear the characters to people as they go on this sort of initial, you know, (laughs) finding themselves missions. And and then by the time this is over, you'll know them all, you'll like them all, and we can start into the series proper by assigning them. But I mean, you do kind of get the impression that he abandoned this as an idea pretty much immediately.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it was a conscious decision, I don't want to do this thing, or if it was more of a he was trying to do it and it didn't quite work, and so he switched gears. I don't know, but it it certainly didn't last. It wasn't something that he stuck with for very long. Uh, apparently, can Canadians don't care about Alpha Flight. <laughs> he spends a big chunk explaining that... Um, not only is the comic book not popular with Canadians, he doesn't care if it is. He doesn't expect it to be. This is a comic book version of Canada for Americans to enjoy, which uh, is very similar to what he explained when he spelled names of places in Canada wrong and people called him on it. So, you know, it is what it is. But I just thought that was interesting. He spends a lot of time really explaining how much it's not about Finding fans in Canada, which it just seems strange to me that that's a big section of this interview. But whatever. What
2: I mean, I can see its point, right? You need you need an American audience first. You Though sure. as we move along in the in this series, I'm getting more and more bummed by the fact that John Burns. Knowledge of Canada seems to be very limited, uh even though he did live there for a while. It seems like he knows Alberta and maybe some other parts from the news that when he used to live there. but he seems kind of disconnected from it, and I would love to see you know uh, i know I know later that we get actual Canadian uh writers on the property um The one thing I wanted to mention was that he talks about his art duties because he was asked like he's he's writing pencilling and inking. Alpha Flight as well as Fantastic Four Not to mention scripting the thing How are you able to handle these art chores on a monthly basis Without losing quality And he goes I'm going to be eliminating a step I'm going to be doing just breakdowns and then inking those Penciling with ink I've reached a level of comfort with my own work that I don't need to do full pencils So I'll just be doing stick figures, layouts And inking those um, And then it's it sounds like a lot of work he says But it actually isn't it makes me wonder about some of the lack of background sometimes that we run into and and maybe some of the limitations on the art that we're seeing. I also wonder sometimes about uh, now that in the recent issues he's brought on uh, a new inker, I wonder how much work that inker is doing. Maybe quite a bit when you think about it.
0: Uh, well, is there anything else you guys want to uh, hit on before we wrap up here?
1: Not for
2: me. No, I don't think so. I think we, it is a fascinating interview for insight in regards to the origins of Alpha Flight. And I'm really glad that we had an opportunity to talk about it.
0: I think since all y'all listening already own every Marvel age that ever came out, you can go back and dig through and find issue two and read this for yourself. I think we covered all the interesting parts, but still you might want to check it out. There's some other stuff in here and, and his defense of the name alpha Flight is interesting to me as well. Uh, So uh, uh, we want to thank you for checking us out for uh, episode seven. Uh, We're going to next week. I think we're doing 18 and 19 or is it 18, 19 and 20?
1: It's going to be 18. Oh, well, we, we'll determine that.
0: We'll make it an announcement. Check out our social medias, and we'll let you know what you should be reading to be prepared for the next episode. Uh, Adriana, if people want to follow us on social medias, on the various socials, how would they find us?
1: Uh, well, they can find us on Twitter at Flight Stuff Pod.
0: How about if they want to follow you?
1: Well, if they want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at EADXBB.
0: How about you, Doug? What if someone, for some ill-advised reason, wants to know more about you and your weird Canadian ways?
2: I would strongly recommend following me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y.
0: And you can uh, follow CinePunks on Twitter, uh, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Uh, we're also on Instagram and Facebook, all spelled the same, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Check us out. Um, and we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to the show and let a friend know. Let a friend know that we're doing the the Lord's work, talking about Canada's premier super team.
1: And if you have any comments or feedback or ideas for what we should put on a (laughs) t-shirt, you can email us at flightstuffpodcast at gmail.com. Flight
2: Flight stuff stuff out. out!